All right, what up, everybody? We're live. Welcome to the next Millennial and Marine podcast. What uh, story time edition number two. No, this is three. We had uh, the uh, 100 Acres. We read Mosquito Motel. Um, so this Fuck. is yeah. So this is story time this number, is number three. three. Yes. Um, this one. So uh, there was a, a contest. Piece of shit host. Um, what? I don't remember the name of the contest, but there was a contest, okay, and it was basically... I remember what it was. What was it? It was the Bootleg Universe contest. Bootleg Universe. There you go. Basically, what it was, was you wanted, you had to write a um, uh, sequel or an alternate version of a story that already existed, um, and basically just kind of what you wanted if they ever made like a an extra version of of one of your favorite stories kind of thing and right so, so um if people don't know or if people have seen it the bootleg universe company is the same one who made the dope power rangers oh yeah the, um, like the mini, mini movie massive, yeah with yeah. uh with uh dawson uh-huh with yeah. uh yeah with james vanderbeek as the blue ranger and mm-hmm. then it was like a, a live action short is like 15 or 20 minutes long and that was kind of what revived the Power Rangers live action movies. Yep. Because mm-hmm. they liked that short so much. Yeah. And so uh, anyway, so this was one that we wrote for that contest that we entered into it. Um, and uh, basically what it is, is so Jeremy's favorite movie, which we covered in another podcast, is uh, Back to the Future. Okay. One thing I was always curious about in Back to the Future is that you have Biff and then you have Griff. And that's grandfather and grandson, but you don't, there's a whole missing generation of tannins. So, uh, we, we wrote this story. <laughs> yeah. So secret life of tannins is explaining to the world what happened, um, after Biff and before Griff. Yep. And, and even kind line. of explains them a little bit too. So, yeah. um, and it actually, uh, picks up like, um, Right with, uh, if you remember in two, um, he was chasing Marty through the tunnels, uh, trying to get the book back. And, yes. And then Marty grabbed the flag that went up to, to the DeLorean and Biff crashing in a manure truck. So that's actually, uh, that's, that's where it starts. And, uh, all right. So I hope you guys enjoy this. Hope I don't fuck it up. <clears throat> all right. So here we go. Uh, this is the secret life of tannins. One. He was enraged. Calvin Klein was an asshole. Who was he to take Biff Tannen's book? Biff looked at Calvin. Calvin's attire confused him. He didn't remotely have the time to debate that flying board the kid's foot was attached to. The old man had told him that a punk kid or a crazy old man was going to come for the book one day. But he just got the book today. The old man said the book would change his life. How was that possible if it got taken from him immediately? He slammed his foot down on the gas. His tires squealed loudly in the tunnel. The punk Klein started swatting his foot on the air, but Biff knew he'd catch him. He leaned forward, wanting to see this kid splatter across his windshield. His grandma wouldn't understand if he were arrested, but he was irate. He tried to push the gas pedal through the floorboard. He was gaining. Calvin was moving quicker now, but was no match for Biff's beast. The engine roared as they reached the end of the tunnel. A string of flags dropped down from the sky. Calvin grabbed it and flew up. Biff watched this, almost detached. His rage was driving. He watched the kid fly away from him. He looked down just in time to see the manure truck. He hit the brakes with everything he had, but it wasn't enough. 
The car spun sideways and smashed into the back of the manure truck, spilling dung all over the open convertible. And Biff he coughed up a mouthful of shit. I hate manure, he managed to say before blacking out. Two. Biff's eyes opened slowly. Everything was hazy and white. There was a beeping sound that thundered in his ears. He couldn't focus. A white shadowy figure moved next to him, and the beeping stopped. Mr. Tannen? Biff thought he'd died. He wrecked the car and it killed him. The book didn't change his life. He blinked a few times, clearing his vision. Mr. Tannen, are, are you hearing me? Yeah. Biff cleared his throat. <clears> throat. Yes. His eyes moved to the nurse hovering over his bed. She was beautiful. He thought she was more beautiful than anything he'd ever seen. He wished for a brief moment that he'd been less of an ass and paid more attention in English so he'd know a stronger word. But Biff, uh, my name is, is Biff. Where am I? She paused. She seemed to be watching him as closely as he was watching her. Heart monitor to his left started beeping quickly, loudly, again. She smiled slightly and pushed a button, stopping it. You're in the hospital. I was driving home and found you passed out in your car. She sat gently on the edge of his bed. Her blue eyes met his hazel. You have a concussion, so we wanted to keep you monitored. You saved me? She smiled. You're heavy, but I managed. I guess that means I'm responsible for you now. Biff moved the blankets to try and get up. He was startled to see he was only wearing underwear and covered himself back up. He turned bright red, but so did his nurse. Where are my clothes? She giggled softly. You wrecked into a manure truck. We burned your clothes, Biff. He swooned when she said his name. He'd usually only heard it in a sentence with the word slacker, so this was a nice change. So, I'm here for a while? He asked. You're here for a while, she said. She patted his leg and stood. I promise it won't be all bad. I don't see how it could be, he said before his mind could catch up with his mouth. It did that a lot, but normally it said awful things that he didn't often mean. This time he thought it was a good thing. She tucked her hair behind her ear and smiled. He thought again that maybe he did died in that car crash. She was almost out the door when he said, What's your name? She didn't say anything. Biff thought for sure she wouldn't tell him. He thought maybe she hurt his reputation. He knew most people didn't like him. But he always thought he was playing a part. He was tall, built, and fairly attractive. However, his size dictated his demeanor. Biff never wanted to be a bad guy, but his father had died early, and although his grandma loved him, she couldn't teach him how to be a man. Vivian, she said, and gave the coyest smile he'd ever seen. My name is Vivian. Three. Vivian stood at the nurse's station going over charts. Claire, an older nurse, walked over to her. So he checked you out? Vivian smiled softly. Yeah, yesterday. Did you get his number? Vivian shook her head solemnly. She seemed lost. Claire got a sneaky smile on her face. Do you think you'll see him again? Doubt it. He was beautiful. I wish I could see him again. Some wishes come true. Claire said and took Vivian by the shoulders and turned her around. There stood Biff. He was wearing his favorite plaid shirt and was sweating profusely. He seemed to be out of breath. He held a bouquet of flowers that had seen better days. She walked slowly to him. It was though she was in a trance. You're sweating. He smiled innocently. He couldn't help it. I, I mean my, 
my my car is well i i had to get some repairs done he paused his face grew a little redder i rode my uh well my bike your bike she said and giggled he thought he could listen to that laugh forever he hoped he would get to when i woke up without you i mean i mean near you uh, here here at the hospital where you work uh, he said he moved his arms around goofily to help him explain what he was failing to say i just i need i needed to see you uh these are for you he handed her the flowers they're beautiful uh they're wind whipped he said this as an apology but since he hadn't stopped smiling it seemed like an amusing explanation they're still beautiful thank you she said she was in sort of awe of this man he didn't seem like the kind to bring flowers but here he was i should have my car back thursday he said she giggled again good it'd be better if you didn't end up in here again for the first time since he walked in the door his smile faltered oh uh okay i i i can go he threw a thumb over his shoulder to illustrate no no i mean as a patient if you passed out on that bike or, or got hit by a car or something I'm, I'm glad you're here she said she wasn't one to normally stumble over her words his smile reappeared good good he said he was trying not to laugh he was giddy from hearing that she was happy he was there well i should uh i i, I should go he turned to leave she didn't want him to leave yet not yet you get your car back on thursday he smacked himself in the head and slowly turned back to her. I'm flustered, he said. She giggled again. His omission was so stark and open. He took a deep breath. Yes, I get my I get it back Thursday. Uh can I take you to dinner Friday? He asked. His words came out quickly, but he was afraid if they came out any other way, then they wouldn't have come out at all. She smiled brightly. The blue of her eyes had a biff absolutely hypnotized. He almost missed it when she said, I'd love that. Four. They were married a year and a half later. Vivian continued nursing, and Biff started working for a car manufacturer just outside of Hill Valley. They did quite well by most standards. Vivian made Biff want to be a better person. Not just a better person, but a genuinely good person. He volunteered to help build houses for the homeless, and worked on one Sunday a month at a soup kitchen that was across the street from his factory. Throughout the years, they had trouble conceiving a child. Between 1958 and 1965, Vivian had three miscarriages. Despite the odds, they had their first child in 1968. Biff cried when he saw his son. It broke him down, and it put him back together in one single moment. Biff wanted to name him Buford after a famous ancestor. But Vivian had the final say. The birth of William Buford Tannen became tied in Biff's mind with meeting Vivian as the greatest moment of his life. Biff felt he still had things to attest for, though. He was a butthead as a kid. Now he led what he believed to be a blessed life. So he befriended George McFly and his family. He knew he wronged them all as a teenager and had come dangerously close to doing worse. He invited them over for dinners, though they rarely accepted, and occasionally would do repairs and work around their house. Sometimes George would speak down to Biff, but Biff allowed this as part of what he felt was unspoken atonement. Biff never knew that it was because George punching him in 1955 had been a turning point for George. And he had now felt he was better than Biff. 5. In 1974, William started first grade. Biff felt lost for an entire day. 
He had the day off. Vivian was at work and William in school. Biff sat on a park bench, completely empty, for an entire day. 6. In 1986, William joined the Marine Corps. Vivian had advised against it, and Biff agreed. Well, he agreed as long as Vivian was looking. Secretly, he was very proud of his boy, though admittedly he was worried. He stopped watching war movies because they were too real, too horrific. 7. It was 1996 when two things happened that brought Biff and Vivian to tears. One was that their little boy, now 28-year-old man, left the Marine Corps. The second was that he married a pretty 22-year-old woman named Jillian. William had asked his father to be his best man. 8. A year later, William and Jillian moved back to Hill Valley, and William began working with Biff at the factory. William started on the floor where Biff started. Biff was now one of the supervisors for his entire division. A year after that, William and Jillian had a baby boy. Griff Buford Tannen came into the world on July 27, 1998. 9. For Griff's fourth birthday, his parents decided to take him to Disney World. He was beyond excited. He wanted to meet Goofy in person, see if he would do his famous yell. Biff and Vivian wanted to join them, but neither could get the time off of work. Griff never made it to Disney World. Exactly 57 miles outside of Hill Valley, William swerved to miss a deer. The car slid, flipped once, then twice, and then slid to a stop on its hood. Griff screamed and screamed, and it was the only reason anyone found the wreck. A hunter who was trailing the deer followed the sounds of screaming instead, until he came across the wreckage. He pulled Griff out of the car. He checked for pulses on both William and Jillian, but they were gone. The hunter hid Griff's eyes and held him until police arrived. Griff cried himself to sleep in the hunter's arms. Griff moved in with his grandparents. 10. Not even a year after Griff moved in with Biff and Vivian, they retired. They were concerned with their funds, but they decided at their age that they needed to be home to raise Griff properly. Biff taught Griff how to change the oil in his car and how to fish, but although Griff paid attention, he didn't love these things. It was the things that Vivian taught him that he truly loved. He learned how to cook by standing on a step stool next to the stove. He watched everything she did. He was a grandma's boy. When he needed advice about, his, about girls, he went to Vivian. If he got in trouble, he went to Biff, who punished him, so they never had to tell Vivian. In 2009, Biff came into a lot of money. See, in 1985, Biff saw a car fly, a DeLorean that belonged to a one Dr. Emmett Brown. No one believed him, so he didn't mention it often. Instead, he spent roughly 15 years drawing up schematics and devising how this could all work, and presented it to his company. The money Biff came into in 2009 was because, based on his design, his company became the first to create a flying car. The idea was to cut down on emissions, on traffic, and on commute time, all while not quite destroying the buyer's wallet. Life was pretty good. 11. It was December 2012 when the cough started. Both Vivian and Biff assumed it was nothing. It was winter, and everyone got colds in the wintertime. But then spring came along, and the cough worsened. Vivian went to the doctor. She was given two years. The doctor said the cough should have been worse. And there should have been other symptoms, but there never were. She didn't make it to the two-year mark. Griff and Biff sat by her bed at the hospital for nine days as she passed. They said their goodbyes, but they were a wreck. 
The burial was a much-attended event, as most of Hill Valley had been touched by Vivian during her life. It made the front page of the paper on October 20th, 2014. 12. The next year was a downward spiral. Biff became a recluse. He rarely left the house, and when he did, he took a cane. A cane was so he could walk, but also so he could hit people that got too close. He'd never let anyone get close again. He was broken. Griff had loved his grandmother dearly. Without her, he had no one to keep him in check. He became a delinquent. He was mean and hurt people. He was hurt. So why shouldn't they hurt too? Neither of them communicated. They couldn't talk about what they felt because neither of them could fully comprehend what they had lost. Biff tried to speak to Griff a few times, but without Vivian, he lacked the compassion required to help Griff. They drifted apart until they were nearly strangers. They were living ghosts that just happened to haunt the same house. 13. On the one-year anniversary of Vivian's death, Biff left the house for the fourth time since she died. He went to her gravesite and brought flowers. I, I can't reach him. You were the better, the best of us. He broke down in tears and sat down in front of her headstone. He ran his fingers over her name. I, I need you here. Wind came bustling through. It pulled at his coat and kicked up dirt. He looked at the flowers he held, and they looked wind-whipped. He smiled. I love you. He waited at home for Griff. He wanted to talk to him, try to help him, anything. Griff never came home. The next day, Biff went downtown looking for Griff, but instead he saw that DeLorean. He saw Doc Brown and Marty McFly. They hadn't aged. He looked at his reflection in a nearby store window. I'm... I'm the old man. That's how... That's how he... I could start the car. Biff waited and watched the two. They were having an argument about a book. About THE book. He was giddy. For the first time in years, he felt warm hope course through him. He took the book and got into the DeLorean. 14. Felt like he never left 1955. When he found young Biff, he told him the same thing he was told. A young punk kid and a crazy old scientist will come looking for this book. And he knew he was telling him this so that he would fail and drive into the manure truck. Then he said, this book will change your life. Because without that book, he would have never met her, never loved Vivian. That book did change his life. He left young Biff and drove to the hospital. He went to Vivian's floor. He found her taking care of a small girl, and he broke down in tears. Biff fell to his knees and was near passing out when somebody found him. They tried to admit him, but he wouldn't have it. Security was called, and Biff had only a moment to think. He hit them with his cane and ran as fast as his old legs would carry him. He jumped back in the DeLorean, got to 88 miles per hour, and went back to the future. 15. Biff landed and was going to leave, but as he was getting out of the DeLorean, he realized they wouldn't know who took it and wouldn't know to go after him and wouldn't trick him into wrecking his car. He broke off the head of his cane and left it in the DeLorean. As he limped off, he thought of how odd this all was to be leaving clues that would lead him to getting into a car accident. He got home to find the police at his doorstep. They took him to Griff. Griff stood behind the bars in his mock Mad Max outfit and burst into tears when he saw Biff. I don't know, I don't know what I'm doing, Griff wept. He fell to the ground and leaned against the bars. Biff had tears streaming down his face. He sat on the ground and hugged his grandson through the bars. I don't know what I'm doing either.
Biff said. They sat there for a long time, rivulets of tears cleansing them both. After bail was posted, they sat on a bench outside. Biff inhaled deeply and exhaled, slowly running his hands through his hair. He pulled his grandson's face so their eyes met. I can't say that she was the love of my life, but I can say she was one of them. I love your father. I love you. I love Vivian. I love her more than I can ever say, but maybe I can show it. Griff looked confused. How? Your grandmother loved you so very much. If I help you, if you help me, then maybe, just maybe we can show her how much we love her. I'd like that, Griff said. Piff tried to get up and couldn't quite do it. Griff helped him to his feet. How do we do this then? Where do we start? Well, Biff said and paused. He smiled. He had seen his wife again today, and deep down inside, knew somehow he'd see her again. How about one step at a time, kid? He took Griff's arm for balance, and they walked down the sidewalk. Did I ever tell you how I met your grandma? No. I don't think you have, Griff said with a smile. Biff looked off in the distance as they walked down the sidewalk. A small smile spread across his lips. Have you ever heard of the Florence Nightingale effect? The end. Fucks me up. It's real. It's real good, man. It really, uh, really pulls on my heartstrings for how much I like Back to the Future. I don't. I don't enjoy um, listening to that. I really don't. It's a really good story, but it's like. It makes you care for Biff, and it makes yeah. him not um, not a, a total piece of shit. It really just, like, uh, if I was more emotional, I would cry. Yeah, it's every time. Every time I, I read this, when I get to the wind-whipped part, where the flower, the breeze comes by while he's at the gravesite, and his flowers end up wind-whipped again, because the first flowers he ever were wind-whipped, like, it's too much. Wow, like, that why, doesn't fuck me up. See, uh, sometimes I wish we didn't write shit that always makes me fuck The part up. that really gets me is um, <clears throat> uh, when he uh, goes back to see her in the hospital when he's old. Mm-hmm. That's rough. Yeah. Yeah. We're fucking assholes. That's for the part of time travel that Back to the Future misses. Yeah. Old, it misses old age. Yep. It doesn't, um, it doesn't hit that tone with uh, Doc Brown. He doesn't, he doesn't, he doesn't go back and have uh, that experience. Right. Exactly. Like, I mean, he goes back and falls in love with Claire, but that's mm. not, it's not the same thing. He goes back and falls in love with her. He's not going back to see something he no longer has. Yeah. So, but anyway, um, so I, I hope that you, you guys like the secret life of tannins. Um, cause it, uh, causes me physical pain to read it. Um, cause I, I don't like to cry, but uh, I really enjoy the story so much that that needs to be a short film so bad. I'd watch it if um, if we ever get funding to to film a short film. That's that's the one. Right. And if it could be put with like a special edition box set of Back to the Future as like a special feature on Mm -hmm. one of them, you can like find out the missing secret life. If Robert Zemeckis could sign off on that for us. Right. I, I mean, because I'm. Or whoever owns the rights. It's the, funny. The when studio. I was writing this, it wasn't until I got halfway through and I, I wrote 
about how he got his money that I was like, oh my God, Biff invented the flying car. Like I did, I even as I was writing it, I was like, where am I going with this? It makes too like, much sense. Of nope. course he did. He's the only one who, who he's knew the only one that saw existed. it, that saw it fly. And yeah, so Biff. and Doc Brown unknowingly created flying cars by showing Biff a flying car. Exactly. Mm-hmm. That's how he fucked with the timeline. It's fucking crazy. And mm-hmm. they show that in the movie, but they don't elaborate on it. No, they don't. They don't explain. Mm-mm. No, and so, but so all all this story did was fill in every gap, which is on what Biff. I, which is what I was trying to do. We, uh, you know, that was our plan in the first part was just to tie it's in. Amazing man! All the tiny little details that were, um, that were there but weren't said. So it's super good. I just, it's great. Yeah. Well, I hope everybody else agrees. We'll see if see if anybody listens to this one. See what you think. Um, feel free to let us know what you think. You can uh, tweet Jeremy at uh, was it M I A Z? Yeah, M I A Z podcast. Yep. And then uh, mine is at John Long Waz. Um, so you can um, tweet at either one of us and let us know what you think of the story. And if you like this story, um. I think this is a good one to cross post. Oh, okay. If you like this story um, and you're listening to this on the Millennial in Arizona podcast, please look for the Millennial and Marine podcast on whatever app you're using and go uh, follow that too. Um, yeah, because there's two be separate both. podcasts. Uh, you got to subscribe to both. They're both on YouTube separately. Um, they are both on the same website currently uh millennial in az podcast.com uh, and that's the only spot you can find both of them together so all right well thanks for listening and uh we'll we'll talk to you guys later all right thanks everybody peace bye <laughs>